we're going to talk about Ephesians. Put that slide up on Ephesians. Oh, no. What's the one, the one that during welcome was up where the Ephesians is split? Can you put that one up? Like, I like this slide. I thought, what is this? Like, if ends and stuff. And I thought, that's an interesting choice of slides to break up and stuff. So that's my first mystery of the day, because this message today is going to be about mystery. And um, uh, as I was prepping, we're, we're actually going through the book of Ephesians. And um, right now, I'm going to speak from chapter 3. And uh, last week, Kathleen Tetzlaff spoke, and she was in chapter 2, and Jamie and Heidi had done some things in the earlier chapters, but we're trying to work our way through the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to, I decided I'm just going to chew off the whole thing and, uh, and do the whole chapter. Um, so let me give you just a little bit of a background. So the book of Ephesians was written around 62 AD. It was written by Paul, and he was in prison. He actually wasn't, they don't think at this time of the writing of this, there, this is one of um, four what they called prison epistles. So epistles is kind of a word for letters that he wrote. He actually was under house arrest for two years during this time, Paul kind of got thrown in and out of jail frequently. And um, he had some people that set him free, and then uh, he got thrown back in jail because, frankly, he was doing a lot of things that made people unhappy. And uh, But at, at this time, this is a, a, a letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And um, um, the main theme of Ephesians is about the church and the church being basically God's masterpiece of unity. Um, that's maybe the best way to say it in a nutshell. It's a lot about unity. And um, so in chapter one, the basically just to review, bring you up to speed if you haven't heard these, is basically about God revealing the blessing of redemption and forgiveness and adoption that unites us to Christ. And that we receive this inheritance by salvation of grace, uh, by grace sealed by the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of in chapter one. In chapter two, it's a little bit about the construction of the body of Christ. It starts with a treatise on grace, uh, what it means to be saved by grace so that no one can boast of their good works. And ends with a discussion of the uh, to the Gentile believers of where they had come from to where they were going, being built together into a dwelling place for God. The church at Ephesus was a church largely of Gentile believers. Um, but uh, before we get going a little bit more into it, I'm going to uh, open up in prayer, and then we'll get more into the depth of Scripture. So, Father God, we thank you today for your glory we thank you for your blessing, and I pray every word that comes out of my mouth today, Father, would glorify you, and that you would give people ears to hear what it is that you want them to hear today. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. So I want to talk a little bit. Chapter 3 talks about a mystery, and I want to talk a little bit about mystery. Put up the, no, put up the book. Okay. This is one of the first. How many have read this book, and then there were none? Ooh, to a few people. 
So I love mystery books. I, I've, I've read a lot. I've read a lot of Agatha Christie. I don't, if, if you know anything about Agatha Christie, I don't know. She's got hundreds of books. So I'm not saying I've read them all, but I really love her. And this is one of the first books. I love this cover because it says, The Great American Read, The Queen of Mystery, Agatha, Agatha Christie. So this is what I like about mysteries. I never get them right. You know, I never figure out in the end, like I, in the end, it's revealed, right? But in the beginning, you know, it's kind of like, okay, who done it? You know, there's, there's a murder or there's a something going on, but who done it? And, um, um, and I, I kind of agree with the title, The Queen of Mystery here, because I have yet to read an Agatha Christie novel that I figured it out before I got to the end of the book. I, she always surprised me. And I remember when I read this book, I was clueless what was going on. And, and I so enjoyed that. I so enjoyed the mystery of it. And, um, and, and I thought when I was preparing for today, I thought, this is great. Now, it's not exactly the same kind of mystery as a novel, um, but... It has a lot of similarities because part of the mystery out of Ephesians is um, a, a mystery that you could not foretell from the Old Testament because it wasn't talked about in the Old Testament. That's a little bit of a, a preview. So we're going to read from Ephesians. Now, I, I decided last week, Kathleen, when she spoke, she, she read out of the message and it was kind of fun, and so I decided that today I would read out of the message, just as a different, it's not my typical go-to, but um, uh, it was kind of fun the way that it, it uh, tells the story in Ephesians. So we're going to read the first part of Ephesians, uh, verses 1 through 13 from the message, and it should, yeah, should be up here. So this is what it says. This is why I, Paul, am in jail for Christ, having taken up the cause of you outsiders, so-called. I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. I got the inside story on this from God himself, as I just wrote you in brief. As you read over what I have written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's Spirit through his holy apostles and prophets of this new order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, the same help, the same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. This is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. 
<laughs> I love that. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, had been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Though through followers of Jesus like yourself, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. All this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust in him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. Be proud. So that's the first part of the book of Ephesians, and I love the way the, the message uh, writes that um, because uh, of uh, just, it's pretty, uh, I, the vernacular in the message is just quite interesting how it, uh, it comes together. So I'm, I'm filtering my papers here so I can get to the right page that I want. So I don't want to miss too much here. So Paul, if you don't know this, Paul was considered the, the apostle that was sent to Gentiles. So, you know, initially when the world was created, everyone basically was a Gentile, okay? The Jewish nation was not formed until Abraham, when, when now I'm not going to go into all the history of that, but, but um, this difference between Jews and Gentiles become very apparent in this chapter. And um, some of what is being said is a response to issues that were happening in the church at this time. So we're talking about the early church. And there was huge differences between the way Jews lived and the way Gentiles lived in that day. So most of you are probably familiar that Jews had, they lived by a set of laws, but the first disciples and Paul himself was a Jew. He was a Roman Jew. And, um, but, you know, like Peter and John and James, they were from Jewish families. And so they understood that. Jesus himself was considered Jewish. He was raised in a Jewish family. And throughout much of the Old Testament, there's this picture of how the Jews were God's chosen people, right? And going into the time of Christ, they separated themselves because they were Jewish. They had certain rights. They had certain beliefs. They were God's people, and they were for God. And, and so then comes Jesus, right? Jesus comes, and he dies for us. But he doesn't die just for the Jews. He dies for all of us. So at this time in the early church, there was a lot of working out of 
what does that mean? What does it look like? There, there was some discussion in Acts. It talks about how um, uh, a lot of the Jews wanted new converts, a lot of them that were Gentile converts, to be circumcised. There's some precedent for that, that when slaves came into a Jewish family and they wanted to like become Jewish, they had to be circumcised even as adults. And so there was, there was a lot of discourse on it about what that meant. And, you know, you have to follow certain things because, you know, the Jews are God's children, chosen people. And uh, that created a lot of hostility, frankly, in that and stuff. So um, when, the, when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came upon the believers that were gathered in that place, allowing them to speak in other tongues and, um, and that. That really is considered the beginning of the church, the beginning of the church today. And most of us know, I mean, probably everyone sitting here recognizes the fact that basically we're Gentiles. And we have this inheritance that's really interesting to understand that is a legacy based on the Jewish nation. But this, why this is such a big mystery is that there, it was not, foretold in the Old Testament. Now, let me be a little clear because this was a little difficult. I was trying to understand this because there's some places in the Old Testament where, where Gentiles were converted or, or that kind of thing. But, and there's also places, for example, in Isaiah 60, verse 3, it says, and nations shall come to your light. In Zechariah 2, 11, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And in Malachi, for my name will be great among the nations. And so you think, well, that's kind of foretelling, right? I mean, that, you know, it's a little prophetic about all the nations will come and be part of the Lord's house. So there was some indication that, yes, it was going to be bigger than the Jewish nation. But here's where the mystery came in. They thought it would be different. They thought it would be the Gentiles sort of adopting the rules of the Jews and becoming Jewish Christians. As they got saved, they would have to still hold on to some of the history that you and rules that were in the Old Testament. But Paul is trying to be real clear here. The mystery is, is the Gentiles came on the same basis, the same uh, promises, the same freedom that he gave to Jews that were becoming Christians at that time. There was no difference there was an equality that Paul is saying this was not in the Old Testament. There, there was never this idea that there was always God's chosen people and they were special and they were different. And here, Paul is trying to explain, no, your Gentile neighbor 
even though you are Jewish and you've converted to Christianity, your Gentile neighbor is the same as you are. And that was controversial in the church, in the early church, that because there were some that wanted to hold on uh, to uh, some of the, the faith of the Jews and, and the practices that they had. Um, uh, it, that was a huge change-up, a huge change-up. And what he's trying to talk about here in, the, in this first part of Ephesians um, the message, you know, there's part in there. He says, only in our time has it been made clear by God's spirit through his holy apostles and prophets of this new order. And I read that in the message, and I thought, that's like right out of Star Wars. Come on, the new order. And I thought, that's kind of what we are. We are the new order, the church. And the church on the day of Pentecost became the church under a different light than anything that had happened prior to that. Um, <laughs> so when you think about it, when you think about like mysteries and who done it and that kind of thing, the surprise, at least for me when I read mysteries, isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I thought about the early church. They didn't think what it was going to be. And that, that message has carried down through generations to us presently. That we sometimes have perceptions about what we think the church is. And sometimes our perceptions are not always correct. It's a little bit of a mystery at times why God does the things that he does in the way he does it. We understand that salvation in the church, there's very few, you know, there's a lot of discussions between different brands of churches, different denominations, but there's very few essentials, very, very few. Uh, the fact that we're saved by grace, not of our own works, the fact that we come to Jesus for that for forgiveness and for redemption. But there's a lot of other issues that you can argue about or debate, and that's not necessarily really bad. But they're just not essential when it comes to unity and the body of Christ. They are not essential. So in this time, this meant for the early church, there was not the Jewish church and the Gentile church. It wasn't like they were together coexisting. There was one church, and Paul, in this passage, is trying to make this really, really clear. Today, we have one church, and it's not Pullman Foursquare. It's much, much bigger than that. One church, and Jesus is the head. And if we disagree about a number of other things, that might be okay to debate them, but it's not right to be divisive about them. It's not right to be questioning based on non-essentials, another person's salvation. 
the this is a quality of the nations here, of all nations, and a fulfillment of God's desire that all people would be saved. All people, that's out of 1 Timothy 2. All people, his desire is all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. One church, one people. In Galatians, um, and Paul wrote both those letters, 1 Timothy and Galatians. He says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is not slave nor free. There's not male nor female. For you are in one in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, heirs according to the promise. So um, I'm going to move on to, I'm going to stop right there, kind of just trying to walk through that first part of Ephesians, what Paul was trying to do. But in a lot of Ephesians, what Paul did is he did a little bit of a teaching and then he prayed for the people. So this next part, Ephesians 14 through 21, and I'm going to read that also out of the message, if I can get it here. This is um, his prayer for the people. And when most people think of Ephesians 3, this is what they think of, because this is a, a fun prayer. Here it is. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything you know, far more than you can ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah in Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through the millennial. Ah, uh, yes. And stop. A great prayer. Paul's praying for their strength so that they would rely on their union with Christ in, in the environment that they were in at that day because it was a little hostile. There was lots of things going on uh, for, for those who were Christians and those who were not. And that's why Paul was in prison a lot of time. He knew he had a calling to preach the good news to Gentiles specifically, and that's what it kept finding him ending up in prison because he, he continued to do that. But he asked God to give them strength and encouragement to understand God's love, the immeasurable love of God, to equip them to live so that they could be all that Christ intended them to be and that the church 
could be all that Christ intended us to be. Paul gives glory to God who is able to do unimaginable things. We cannot imagine those things. He does these things according to the power at work within us. So one church, one body, no division in the body. We are all saved by grace, and we are all immeasurably loved. We cannot fathom the love that God has for us. So I want to ask you a question. Look around you. Look at the other people here. Just take a look around. What do you see? You know, we're here on a Sunday morning because we profess to be a Christian. And we want to walk with God. And there, there might be someone here who is still on the line about that. I don't know. I don't know every one of you that well, but there might be someone who's like still trying to make that decision. Do they want to walk with God or not? But what do you see when you look around you? Do you see infirmity? Do you see like a life stage, personal problems, how someone is dressed, the color of their skin? whether they're male or female, what do you see? Where they're from, maybe, whether you relate to them or not, how old they are. So I want to put this before you. If you aren't seeing a person as a loved person of God, you're not really seeing them. Because everyone sitting here, wherever they are at, However they vote, however they look, they are loved immeasurably, immeasurably by God. And we need to adopt those eyes. We need to adopt the eyes of God in this to look around us and be able to say, I know that God loves you wherever you're at. I know the, the, the I, well, actually, I don't know because it's immeasurable. I can't measure how much God loves you but I know it's beyond my capacity to even understand that kind of love. So when we look around at each other, we need to have God's eyes. We need to know that we are one. We are much, we come here and we're part of Pullman Foursquare. This is our family, but we are uh, much more a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that in a, in a Mormon type of way, but, but there is one church, and the head is Jesus Christ, and we are a part of that. And that's a wonderful thing. We are blessed. So I'm going to pray over you. Hang on. Let me get my other hand. There we go. I'm actually going to pray the same prayer that Paul prayed. But I'm going to pray it out of the NIV. I love the NIV. It's just kind of easy to read. And a lot of us are familiar with this, where the message might sound a little foreign to you. 
So you can close your eyes. And just First of all, I just want to bless you here. I want to bless all of you. Wherever you are at this week, this month, that the Lord hold you and bless you. And as Paul said, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth, including you, derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Blessings on you. Julie, you want to come up and we'll sing the doxology? And thank you guys for being here. Why don't you stand and join me while we sing the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Thank you, everyone, for being with us. Thank you, Pastor Janice. And we pray you go in peace and enjoy your Sunday.